0: Welcome listeners, episode number 11. We made it past 10, can you believe it? We did, and I'm not sure, when is the next milestone? I don't know, but I, I'm sorry for the listeners that are freaked out by the fact that I'm surprised we make it to each episode, but I am surprised.
1: <laughs> I know. We're officially in double digits, um, although we were in double digits last episode. Well, like we're almost say.
0: teenagers.
1: We are, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there. But like I'm saying, the 10 was a big milestone. Now, of course, because of COVID, we didn't get together and do anything crazy we didn't we didn't even do anything not crazy we just we didn't do anything but maybe the next milestone is is, is i don't know if it's 20 because we can't do every 10 so maybe 25, 25 25 let's make it 25 yeah all right when we get to 25 that'll be the next milestone we'll
0: do nothing then too
1: <laughs> well i'm hoping that uh covid's going to be over by then we're all going to live in peace and harmony in a perfect socialist utopia what an
0: intro to yeah. uh this week's
1: episode <laughs> And then we got a lot for you today yeah go
0: ahead jay we have a lot so kicking it off we got honest abes here we go honest abes
2: when he growed up this tiny babe folks all call him honest
3: abe abraham,
2: abraham
0: honest abes we got a couple things for you today i feel like the rest of the honest abes were focused on one thing we got a couple for you today the first is we're going to address uh, a correction it was very important for professor mark m cogman to make it's a quick correction but he thought it very important to make this is from last episode right jay from the last episode from episode 10 and we posted it on our blog and uh i'll just read from the blog essentially professor cogman asked that we correct his statement regarding william jennings bryan in the episode the professor as we'll now refer to him <laughs> referred to william jennings bryan as a supreme court justice the correct information is that he was a secretary of state and politician. So there you have it. Mark knows most things,
1: but didn't know this thing. Every once in a while, even even professors mess up.
0: Yeah, I've heard that.
1: I've heard that. It's true. Especially when they're on the left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else do you got for us for honest? I days?
0: also have a very, very exciting announcement. Ready for this, Riz? Uh, I think I'm ready. Yes, I got my beer. I'm ready to go. All right. Well, cheers. To the fact that we have our very first
1: T-shirts. No way, really?
0: We got T-shirts. We got boy, boy. Do we have T-shirts? B- baby doll too. We got, we got baby doll. We got sweatshirts. We got T-shirts. We got tank tops. Anything you could possibly want, we have it. And uh, it's actually, it's based on our cool cartoon characters. And we have um, something you said actually that that both of us thought was very funny. Uh, it has us. We're holding up two picket signs, and mine says uh what do we want and the answer is moderate change and uh yours says when do we want it Uh, incrementally what do we want
1: moderate change when do we want it incrementally i gotta tell you i don't know that it's going to be a popular saying but i'm very excited about it well we loved it because it's sort of the the motto of our show Yeah. That the idea here is for us to all calm the F down. And by the way, there is uh, there is so much It is so hot right now. And I'm not talking about physical temperature. I'm talking about just the temperature, the political temperature on the street. So we can all use a little just time to chill out, cooling down, take a breath. And we really thought this shirt sort of was representative of that plus the looks the expressions on both of our faces are very much like yeah we're sort of over this whole thing yeah so i think you guys will enjoy it buy it put some money in our pockets money is good yeah although we don't make that much money on them but you'll look great you'll look
0: great in them i promise
1: everyone's gonna ask what is the statement of moderation
0: you're wearing please tell me more and you can direct them straight to our
1: podcast. And put them on your kids and indoctrinate them early into moderation. <laughs> <laughs> moderation indoctrination early as possible. I mean, we should actually, we should probably make onesies and everything. Yeah. And babies. The, the yeah. moderation do, indoctrination. I love it. <laughs> the title of our book. It is. All right, you got one more thing for us, right?
0: I got one more thing for you. Guess what? We have a discord. You can talk to us about politics about uh you know anything on the episode you may rub against or you may like the link is on our instagram and uh on our website and so we'd love for you guys to engage with us and speaking of engagement with us we have a new segment and it's called we
1: care a lot we care a lot a new segment and it even comes with a new theme song we care a lot. Our our friend of the pod, JP, will be very excited about that. He will. He will very much so. So we we wanted to add this segment in because we actually are getting some listener feedback now, right, Jay? And it's enough to facilitate its own segment. It certainly
0: is. People are speaking up on the Discord. People are sending us some feedback. And so we're very excited about it. We want to talk about it on the air, like we say we're always going to do. And as I predicted, almost everything is addressed at me. <laughs> <laughs> you predicted that well, Riz. So I did, um, I did. Let's see. We got a question here. Mm -hmm. It's for you. It's what a surprise. I'd love to address it. Let's go. Here we go. So you ready? I'm ready. Rob, you have talked a lot about right wing victimhood mentality, but it's the left that thinks the world owes them something, not the right. Conservatives are about
1: personal responsibility, not victimhood. Please discuss. Wow. Okay. well, I'd love to discuss this. Okay. let me clear my throat. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Um, we already did an entire episode around the time of the George Floyd protests, if you remember, Jay. I went into the far-left ideology that blames every single inequality in America or in the West in general on societal inequity. I talked about what I call the in- inequity hierarchy list, trademark, by the way which uh, is a revolving list of groups that, according to those who subscribe to this ideology, are the victims of the white capitalist free market Western system. Just to go over that list again very quickly, it includes African-Americans, Hispanics, Muslims, women, and I mean women in general as a group, the entire LGBTQ community, and of course American Indians. Every once in a while, Jews and Asians will show up briefly on this list, but they're usually not on the list for very long because generally, Jews and Asians have been economically successful throughout the West, which precludes them from taking part in this list. Unless you're Nick Cannon. Unless you're Nick Cannon, of course, which, you know, we we could do a whole episode on him. Now, obviously, white men are never on the inequity hierarchy list because they are the ones that created the system in the first place, and thus are the beneficiaries of the system born with a certain level of privilege. With all that said, I do not think this is the prevailing notion on the left. I think the people who believe in the inequity hierarchy list and thus possess a victimhood mentality make up a very small segment of those who call themselves liberals or progressives or Democrats, uh, about the same size as those on the right who identify as white supremacists. So we could, two could play that game, right? Um, I know this because Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee and not Bernie Sanders. In fact, Biden won in a landslide. It wasn't even close, which tells me that most Democrats do not believe in the D- Bernie Sanders worldview, especially African Americans by the way, who overwhelmingly voted for Joe Biden. You know, this idea that we are all victims of this unfair capitalist system, it's it's just it's a small segment. I will also say that I personally have known lots of black people i've worked with lots of black people but i have never met one who told me they felt like a victim of western culture i think this movement on the left is mostly made up ironically very ironically of rich white woke young people who have never bothered to even read the declaration of independence or the constitution let alone take the time to interpret its modern day implementation or lack thereof So I already talked about the victimhood mentality that exists on the left, and I already said that I generally reject the premise, even though I do recognize true societal inequities that do exist. But the victimhood mentality that exists on the right, oh, here we go, (laughs) is not only more irrational, it's also really annoying. Uh, like left-wing victimhood mentality, it doesn't include all people who identify as Republicans or conservatives. For instance, my good buddy, Jay, who's on this podcast with me. Hello. I would not put him in this category. Hey, hey dude, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it is typically, however, the largest group on the right that beats this drum constantly. And that is, of course, the Christian conservative contingent, I'm sorry to say, where there is an ever-growing notion that white Christians are actually the ones in our society who are being discriminated against. And it's usually in relation to our cultural institutions, the media, academia, as we talked about last week with Mark, Hollywood, sports, the corporate world, etc. cetera. All these groups are systematically marginalizing white Christian conservatives. Now, what makes this kind of victimhood mentality inherently more blood curdling to me personally versus the left-wing victimhood ideology is that at least on the left, one can make a case that it's rooted in some kind of reality, some basis of reality. The right-wing victimhood mentality is a figment of the right-wing imagination. And our buddy Miz talked about this last week. It is not happening on a grand scale by any means. There have been large studies that prove this. What's more is that even though Leonardo DiCaprio may not like you guys, Christian conservatives seem to be pretty damn good at winning elections, as I've pointed out on this show several times at this point. Do the research. Check the math if you don't believe me. Of my 40 years on this planet, 24 of those years have seen a conservative Republican in the White House. Outside of the coastal states and a few urban areas in Middle America, look at the map. The majority of the country is as red and as Christian as you could possibly get, and they win more local, state, and federal elections than the Democrats do by a long shot. So honestly, who the hell cares that Meryl Streep says mean things about Trump at the Oscars or that a sports team doesn't like conservatives? I'd trade in those things in a second for more access to the actual levers of power. Now, Jay. Hi. If if I were making the counter argument for you, if I'm in your shoes and I'm saying how do I argue this, right? I mean, I could take a nap right now. You can, because I'm going to do it for you because I know exactly what I would say if I was making the counter argument. Again, I listen to enough right-wing commentators to understand their argument. Jeremy Boring, who I know you know personally of the Daily Wire, a yep. uh, conservative guy, always says his sort he has like this famous expression he always says that politics is downstream from culture. What does that mean? Politics is downstream from culture. What that means basically is that the cultural movements eventually make their way into the halls of Congress and reflect policy and legislation. So the idea is that we can't let the left win the culture war because then all of their crazy ideas will become policy eventually. Well, defund the police movement is a decent example of that. We could call that an example. But again, this is more right-wing paranoia because there has been a progressive cultural movement going on in this country since the 1960s, literally. And yet Republicans have done just fine. And in fact, under Trump, the judiciary is more conservative now than it's probably ever been in American history. In summation, what the are you guys whining about? Well, here's what I'll tell you. And the bottom line is this.
0: Yeah, the victimhood exists. However, it's not my personal experience. However, I belong to a group of Christian conservatives they're about education. They're about picking themselves up by their proverbial bootstraps, getting things done, whether that's for public service or capitalistic gains. But they've been discriminated against in university and their jobs. Maybe that's because they live on a
1: coast. Yeah, okay, let me just interject for a second because you could find anyone you could any group there there is a six foot five male model who's jacked right now who could tell you a story of of how he was he was discriminated against it so everyone has a discrimination story i was a fat kid for a minute like i i mean and for all those who are overweight i'm sorry Um, Don't (laughs) don't worry, we'll put up a photo. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, For two years of my life, I went through the prepubescent pudge phase, the PPP phase, as my friends like to call it, it. It was like during the 12, 13 year old range. I went to summer camp one summer and got brutally bullied. I mean, you know, just ripped up and down, just completely destroyed, beat up all the time. I am I a victim too? Yes. Conservative there are there's stories of conservative discrimination, but is that does, is that indicative of a system that has that uh, you know has kept the conservative white Christian down? I will tell you this, okay? And I'll use your language to do it. Okay.
0: It is not an inequity. We are all privileged, white, Christian or otherwise, right? Christian, Jewish, whatever it is, we've had a great privilege of growing up in this country as we do. So, I will not leap to the fact that you know anyone's calling this an inequity of course discrimination exists is it real yes is it an inequity is it keeping us down
1: i do not believe so so we can leave it there i think i also think that the right is just generally upset since the 60s that they have lost the culture war and if you look around it has gotten more and more extreme it, you realize their losses more and more like almost every week because it's like every corporation is is of the left now. And it, it's just, it is a left-wing world. So I can understand from a conservative point of view that they would be walking around saying like, I've been accusing the left of being victims, you know, but uh, honestly, I sort of feel like a victim now too. It's optics,
0: right? If I come, if if I sit in a room of, uh, you know, 10 random people that I pull from the street in Los Angeles, New York, you want to coastal city, Right, right, and I and I start talking about my viewpoints as uh, a messianic Jew or Christian or Republican.
1: They're automatically going to discriminate. Oh, and there's certain industries for sure. I agree. Like Hollywood, you cannot be a a a conservative in Hollywood. Sure. You
0: want to talk about Jeremy Boring? Him and I were both uh, members of uh, the Friends Friends of of Abe, which was a secret Hollywood group of Republicans because we couldn't be outed because you'd get blacklisted.
1: Yep. And it's I think it's even more so today in the wake of Trump. Um, If you show any sympathy, you're automatically outcast. But uh, Hollywood is a very, very small strip of land in, uh, you know, in this huge area, wilderness that we call America. So the idea that, yes, Hollywood has never liked you guys ever. They like Jews. So I got a leg up there. They do. They do. But Jews have always been progressive as well. So I'm talking mainly about the Christian conservatives who have always complained about this phenomenon. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Yeah, I'm with it. Okay, we had another question, didn't we? We certainly did. You ready for this one? I'm ready. And this one was directed at me as well. Yeah, that's shocking. Yeah, (laughs) let's
0: go. (laughs) Rob, I was listening to the episode where you guys talked about rage against the machine and discussed the far left ideology of, quote, burning the system down, quote, Uh, burning is with a B-U, not a B-E, that is prevalent among the Bernie Sanders left. I found it interesting because I've always thought about the Trump movement as a burn the system down movement. Can you elaborate on where you think the distinctions are?
1: Great, great question. I love that question. I don't have to get too combative for this one. You are correct. Both the Bernie movement and the Trump movement have elements of burn the system down for sure, but there are distinctions. What is the one word that both Bernie and Trump would say over and over and over and over again on the campaign trail. Jay, ooh, I know, in the back. Me, tell me, tell me. Rigged. Rigged. Very good. Ding, 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 ding. He gets a cookie. I love cookies. It's a rigged system. You heard both there. Bernie said it's a rigged system. It's rigged by the millionaire and the billionaire class. Uh, and and you know, Donald. Trump, I I don't have a good impression of Donald Trump, but always the system is rigged. The The uh, economy is rigged, the banking institution is rigged, and the election is rigged over and over and over again. So there is definitely some crossover appeal there. And in fact, there are a lot of Bernie people who voted for Trump. I believe that as I've talked about on the show a lot already, uh, the Bernie Bernie bros, if you will, see the American free market capitalist system as corrupt from the root up, and therefore the whole thing needs to be torn down, burn the system down, B-E-R-N. I've talked before about how there are elements of this movement that I actually can sympathize with. Where it loses me is where we get to the solutions, which for whatever reason always center around giving the government that is the root of all these crazy systemic failings, more power and more influence to up our lives. (laughs) Uh, When Trumpers talk about the system being rigged, what they're referring to is less the American capitalist system It's sort of like we talked about in the last question. The cultural institutions are the ones that are rigged. It's a distinction between the people and the system, right? Yeah, right, right. So the the governmental institutions, right? So this idea that the FBI, the CIA, the State Department, which has a ton of people that work in the State Department, is infected with career bureaucrats who have been liberalized or somehow brought are bought into uh, leftist ideology and are covertly attempting to turn America into a Marxist state. Now, this is all paranoia, of course, but they'll find the one FBI agent who referred to Trump supporters as, quote, smelly Walmart people. That was Peter Strzok, by the way, for those who don't aren't involved in the news as much as I am. Uh, And that will justify the burning down of all these institutions. The system is rigged, we must drain the swamp. Do you think I'm pretty accurate on that, Jay? Yeah, I think that's
0: exactly right. I think the Bernie people wanna burn down the system, the Trump people wanna get the people
1: out of the system. Burn down the institutions, that's what I would say. Yeah, I would say, okay, that's the distinction. We could say in one short sentence, Bernie people, burn down the system, Trump people, burn down the institutions. So both of it requires burning of some type. (laughs) Okay. b-e-r-n <laughs> b-e-r-n yeah exactly <laughs> and
0: uh, if you didn't have enough
1: of answers by riz we got rants by riz oh right geez yeah i mean there's a lot of riz going on right now so let's let's do it rants by riz in this ramp i want to talk a little bit about media malfeasance now we've hit all we've done a lot of hits on the left We've done a lot of hits on the right. We've done some hits on the media, but this episode, we're going to hit the media a lot more because the media, is your media is failing you. They're terrible. Okay. I want to talk, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the way that they've been reporting the COVID numbers, especially as it. In regard to the place that I live, which is in Los Angeles, Los Angeles County. Throwing out numbers like a roulette wheel. I should preface by saying I put this, I sort of put these thoughts together at the beginning of last week. So the numbers have gone up a lot, but the, be- the numbers at the beginning of last week were very round numbers. So I thought just for the purpose of this exercise, let me use the round numbers that I heard last week. So suspend your disbelief and sort of put yourself back a, a week and a half. All right. You could do it. It's not that hard. Jeez a bunch, bunch of whiners so, that are, that so our complaining <laughs> so you might have heard the media will constantly every night on the nightly news cnn does it all day los angeles county has the highest number of cases in the country okay yes this is true los angeles county has the highest number of cases of any county in the country what they never say For the people at home what they fail to tell you is that los angeles county is the single largest county in the country by a long shot in fact it is double the population of the second largest county which is cook county illinois okay cook county has about 5 million people los angeles county has 10 million people making it the single largest county in the country not just by population but also by land los angeles county is almost five thousand square miles anyone who lives in la knows that when you're driving down the 10 going east it's, far. it's like two hours before you see a sign that you're in another county okay la is a sprawling huge county with a lot of people so first off you would any reasonable intelligent person would Realistically, expect that LA would have the most number of cases. Okay, so when you just say Los Angeles County has the has the highest number of cases without giving any of the underlying data, it's a little bit misleading. So, how many cases did LA have? Let's examine the the math here a little bit. One hundred and fifty thousand cases as of last Monday. I want to use these round numbers. There are ten million people in LA. Ten million divided by one hundred and fifty thousand is one point five percent. That means one point five percent of Los Angeles County has been diagnosed with having COVID-19. Now, that's not enough to get me really, really scared to walk out of the house. It's, you know, I'm not saying it's insignificant, but 1.5% of the county is very small when you consider how big this county is. Now, a lot of you listeners are probably saying, yeah, that's sleight of hand though, Riz, because the CDC says that the number is probably 10 times that. In, In other words, 10 times more people have either asymptomatic cases or cases that are so mild, they're not getting tested. Let's assume that's true. So it's not 150,000. Let's assume it's 1.5 million people in this county who have who have COVID-19. That would still, it wouldn't be 1.5%. It would be 15%. Now, that's significant. 15% would be if you interacted with seven people in the day you could presume that one of those people were COVID positive. And that would be, you could see how that could, a brush fire and, and, that, and that, that could grow, but it's still not, Insanely crazy 15%. It's not like 50%.
0: No, the numbers that you just laid out in terms of uh actual mileage and population has not been in a single solitary
1: article that's been right. released in the media. Right. It's insane that you're the only one reporting this. Right, exactly. So I have to have my mother, my Jewish mother, calling me up saying, Los Angeles has the most amount of cases. We're all going to die. And I have to sit there and tell her this math that i just told you guys like yes they we have the most cases we also have the most people we have a huge huge land mass here let's calm down a little bit now again i don't want anyone to think i'm an anti-masker no one's downplaying the seriousness
0: of right. this it's just about it's it's about the numbers that are not getting out and it's how the media is treating
1: this is really what this is what we're talking about here. right give the people the information, have the responsibility to, I mean, people are not dumb. They can understand math. I just explained, I bet you every single person who's listening can understand the math I just did. It's simple math. We don't need clickbait. I'll click on the article. I'm interested. Exactly. Well, we're going to get to clickbait. Uh, my next thing about media malfeasance. So um, if you haven't heard, Obama and Biden got together this week and did this social distance sort of interview with each other with, where Obama asked a lot of the questions and Biden Responded and it was, it was cute. It was, it was nice. It was really nice to just hear people have an intelligent conversation. Uh, you know, uh, Obama's always so good. And I think Biden is his best version of himself when he's around Obama. Yeah. Like inspires him or something. Um, and they talked for a half hour or more. Um, and they talked about all different things. I want to play you one clip of what, of my favorite thing that they touched on that I thought was just, it was just a fitting thing to talk about. And something that we needed to hear.
3: We're now in a situation where not only we've got an f- economic crisis, but we also have a public health crisis to boot. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you're seeing the, the current economic crisis and how you're thinking about the economy right now. Well, Mr. President, there's three pieces that I see. One, we have got to sustain and keep people from going under forever. There's already 10,000 businesses that are not likely to open again, a significant number of small business and minority businesses. Number two, when they're able to come back, they not only are able to keep their folks employed on a payroll, but they're able to cover overhead. Be able to cover the additional expenses. For example, the idea you're going to open without social distancing, masks, tests, and all these things, that costs a lot of money. Those are added costs. They're added costs. And they should be able to have that added cost to be able to stay open for the good of the country. But the next stage of this is going to be if we're able to, if the stimulus can keep people afloat, then we have to deal with recovery. And the recovery is building back, but not just building back, as you've been talking and I've been talking about, building back better. We have to change the way in which we deal with allowing people an opportunity to make a living. Right. That includes child care, that includes turning, making significant investments in infrastructure so people can make uh, not just a living wage, but a union wage, making sure we have a build up an entire new public health system and making sure everybody has health care.
1: Unprecedented times require unprecedented measures. They talked about that kind of stuff. It was a nice talk. They mentioned Trump, I think for about a minute. They talked about not. I I would say not even just something in passing. Yeah, uh, uh, just about his failings in in the pandemic and as a leader. It was towards the end, and this is the headline from the Washington Post the next day: Biden and Obama troll Trump, deploying a new campaign tactic meant to energize Democrats and anger the president. Okay, all right. So that's what you got out of that? Is that for real? And no, it's not. It's not. You know. This is the media uh, saying the quiet part out loud, because what what they are doing here is it's quite obvious the way they make money is for you to click on their stories. So and this is The Washington Post. This isn't this isn't some tin pot guy in his basement that's, you know, has some kind of conspiracy channel. I mean, this is The Washington Post. Okay, the paper of record, I believe they call themselves that's the best you could do for a headline. I think it's just, I mean, don't you think this does an incredible disservice to any cause, what, whatever cause you, you you represent in America, this does a very terrible disservice. Don't you agree, Jay? It's crackpot journalism. It's
0: it's literally creating clickbait so that they can justify the money they get from their advertisers. It's what we right. talk about all the time. It is not central to the plot. It had, I watched the entire interview, there was, I mean, I don't even know they mentioned it by name, maybe once. You know, it, it was just like, this had nothing This had nothing to do with the reason they got together and nothing to do with the conversation. Agree or not with what they talked about, this was not central to the plot of of, of their conversation at all.
1: It, John Favreau from, uh, from Pod Save America tweeted out, our competitor, Uh, t- tweeted out, the tactic, having a conversation about the issues. <gasps> you know? <laughs> How shocking. Right, that was, yeah, so, you, you know, the point is here that, The pre, you know, for all you right wingers out there who are listening to this, who think that you hate the mainstream media, and you have ownership on that, us on the left, we hate them just as much, maybe just for different reasons. But this is, it's, if you're on the right and you read this headline, you get angry, which you didn't need to get angry. If you're on the left and you read this headline, you probably click on it. And you probably don't even listen to the whole thing because all you cared about was the fact that Biden and Obama trolled Trump. If you're
0: expecting this, you're going
1: to be seriously disappointed. Right. It's just, you know, uh, we've said this several times now and I'm going to say it again. Do better. Amen. You know, I know you guys need to make money, but that that kind of headline just is so misleading and it just it doesn't serve any kind of real purpose other than just lining the pockets of the people who work at the Washington post. So uh, shame on you guys. And that is the end of Riz's rant. So one more thing here, guys, it is such a heavy time out there. And we had a pretty heavy episode last, last week it was very intellectual. A lot of people said that they loved it. Some people were like, it was a little over my head. Um, the week before that we did a topical episode on healthcare. That was also a little heady. Lots of stats, lots of stats, lots of stats. So we said, you know what? Let's 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 lower the volume. Let us let, have a little more fun on this one. So we have another new segment. Another for you. new segment. Yes. And this segment I believe is going to come back over and over and over again. We're going to call this segment the Trump Whisperer. And this is a place to address how easy it would be for the president to not be an idiot.
2: There's no way. There's no way. I can make it get down that rim without falling on my ass. There's no way.
1: All right. So what we're going to do in this segment is we're going to take you through an interview that Trump did with Chris Wallace. You've probably seen the interview if you're into this stuff. If you haven't, please (laughs) go watch this interview. It could have been one of the most embarrassing presidential interviews I've ever seen in my life, which is nothing new for Trump. He always outdoes himself. But what we're going to do in this segment is we're going to play the questions and Trump's response. And then we are going to tell you how easy it would have been to answer that question in a partisan way still be divisive but also have this little thing called intelligence you could still play politics yeah total plain politics is what politics is about it's called politics for a reason Joe. can i tell you
0: what he also could have done sure tell me had the interview indoors the guy was schwitzing like i like he was in a, a sweat house yeah <laughs> he was like in the sauna having this interview it's and it was funny. his
1: choice it's funny when, when i when i saw that that was the first thing that hit me is like what staffer is going to get fired for this because who agreed in a hundred degree summer dc heat to have this guy looking like a stuck pig sitting outside in a cicadas unbelievable. but he looked terrible he was red and dripping wet and you know I shouldn't talk because I'm a Schwitzer, as you know, Jay. Yeah. We used to play in a band. I used to come off stage just soaking wet, right? Yeah. yeah. I actually hate being being put in situations where I'm hot when it wasn't necessary. Bottom line here is I sympathize with Trump on this one, and someone should lose their job. Someone who shouldn't lose their job is Chris Wallace's makeup person because <laughs> he didn't look
0: like he shed
1: an ounce of water. Maybe not, that's not maybe, a drop. It was probably Chris Wallace's, uh, you know, idea to do the interview. Maybe he knew that Trump would be sweating like a pig and he would be totally calm and cool. Maybe he doesn't have sweat glands. He looked great. Yeah, He looked great. He did. He always looks great, though. Ho- hooray for Chris Wallace. Indeed. The first question was about the COVID mortality rate. This was sort of the 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 most uh, and I don't mean first in in the order it actually went I'm, tr- I'm talking about first in the ones that we picked out um So th- this is like the famous one that 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 probably that was all over the place, and it was they were asking him about you know which which country has the highest rates, the lowest rates, blah blah. Yeah, blah. they blah. brought in a chart. It was the whole thing. Yeah, he, uh, he, here's what it sounded like.
2: But when you talk about mortality rates, I think it's the opposite. I think we have one of the lowest mortality rates true, in the sir. world. We, well, we, we're going to we take a look. We had 900 deaths on a single day. We will this, take a look. this week ready I,
3: you, you can could check you it please out please
2: get me the mortality rate yeah kaylee's right here i heard we had one of the lowest maybe the lowest mortality I, rate anywhere in the world you have the numbers please because i heard we had the best mortality rate
3: number
2: number one low mortality rate yeah, is- i hope you show the scenario because it shows what fake news is all about. okay, okay go i don't ahead. think
1: i'm fake news <laughs> You know, in sticking with the point of this uh, of this segment, here's what the correct response would have been. You know, look, Chris, we can quibble over the numbers all we want. What's done is done. What we can do is get this virus under control so that we can open our schools and get back to work. That's what this is all about. Always pivot to what you're going to do about the numbers rather than how the numbers can be off and have have a pissing contest over whose numbers are right. Who has this? Why get into that? It's such an easy question, by the way, especially if you're wrong, especially if you're wrong. Like, you know, you should just preface with I don't want to quibble about the numbers. You know, the numbers are what they are. Here's what I'm going to do. That's what a strong president would do. Here's what I'm going to do to fix the
0: numbers. You can refuse the premise of the question by pivoting to something. that Talks about what you're going to do about the numbers. It, it's, it's 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 honestly, it's politics 101. It really is. Politics
1: 101, is. but there's even more that we're going to get to that's more in the vein of, of politics 101. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a, a question to him about Joe Biden and he brought up defund police and how that relates to Joe Biden. Here's what it sounded like. Liberal Democrats have been running Cities in this country for decades. Poorly. Why, why is it so bad
3: right now?
2: Uh, they've run them poorly. It was always bad, but now it's gotten totally out of control. And it's really because they want to defund the police. And Biden wants to fun- no, defund he, the
3: police. Sir, he does not.
2: Look, he signed a charter with Bernie Sanders. It we says nothing with,
3: about defunding the oh, police. Oh,
2: really? It says abolish. It says, affu- let's go. All right. get me me the charter, please. All
1: right. According to Chris Wallace, he actually did get the charter. And of course, he couldn't find it in the charter. And it was embarrassing for Trump. Um, Again, why get into this kind of thing with him when you know you're going to you don't know if you're right. This this sort of hyperbole thing. Maybe it worked in the business world. It doesn't work as president because you have so many people fact checking you. And when you don't have a ass kissing journalists like Sean Hannity, and you have someone like Chris Wallace who's actually gonna check you and is not scared to do it, you're gonna look like an idiot. So the correct response would have been, you know what, if Joe Biden becomes president, I'm afraid he'll succumb to the whims of the radical left. He'll be inclined to fulfill all of their crazy fantasies, including but not limited to how law enforcement can operate, and that's why you got you can't vote for Joe Biden. And let me tell you something, with with the, his Joe Biden's announcement with the AOC backed climate plan and the Obamacare yeah. spend, it's not a so- stretch. So much to pivot to. That's the point. So much to pivot to rather than getting in this tit for tat. No, I'm right. No, you're right. And then you end up being wrong. I mean, just, just stupid idiocy. Here's what the Pod Save America guys had to say. The Post reported over the weekend that um, Trump's central message about Biden now is that he'll allow the radical left to usher in a new dystopia. Um, I don't know. It seems like there's a hole in that strategy, but <laughs> what do you think? Is Joe, is that is that a smart message that Joe Biden's going to usher in the, a new dystopia? There's a uh, there's a real there's a real logical problem in all these arguments which is all of their ad, all of their ads are like if Joe Biden becomes president what's happening now is going to happen That's right. I'm like what well, you're president you're president now it's you. Joe, Joe Biden, he's been in Washington forever and he's going to he's going to usher in. The, he's going to be with the radical left. It's like Joe Biden, more of the same radical change. <laughs> I just thought that was funny and relating to that last clip, because um, all of this stuff, all these riots are happening under Trump. The idea that you're going to elect Joe Biden and they're going to keep happening, whereas you elect me and they're going to stop. Again. You haven't been able to stop them. They're probably going to get worse under you. Actually, I'd, I'd buy that T-shirt. <laughs> Joe Biden, more of the same radical change. So then right, more of the same radical change. So uh, so then they started talking. Wallace asked him a question about uh, the renaming of the Confederate bases that still exist, like uh, the Bragg uh, base yeah, for Fort Bragg. Bragg. Yeah. Here's what that sounded like.
2: I don't care what the military says. I do. I'm, I'm supposed to make the decision. Fort Bragg is a big deal. We won two world wars. Nobody even knows General Bragg we won two world wars. Go to that community where Fort Bragg is in a great state. I love that state. Go to go to the community say how do you like the idea of renaming Fort Bragg? And then what are we going to name it? You're going to name it after the Reverend Al Sharpton? What are you going to name it, Chris? Tell me what you're going to name it.
1: I have been arguing many times on this show that I don't think Trump is a racist and I've gotten a lot of heat from the left. Uh the that that statement right there makes me rethink my position here because that is so blatantly ra- Al Sharpton for those who don't know is a very controversial figure. And what what this shows in Trump's mind when he's just riffing he, when he thinks black people, he thinks Al Sharpton. That's who he thinks of. He doesn't think of William H. Carney, who was a civil war hero. One of the first black ones. Uh, he doesn't think about the Tuskegee airmen. He doesn't even think about Ben Carson. He thinks about, you know, Al Sharpton, the controversial one, the controversial one that people aren't really sure if he's good or he's bad or, you know, the answer to this question, you know, he's talking about Wallace had basically said that the military said that they should rename Fort Bragg. And he was basically, I don't care what the military says. First of all, that's stupid. You should always listen to your military. You're the commander in chief, but your base wants to know that you have respect for the military. So yeah, t- take consideration from the guys that have been doing this as career men, right? But then he should have said, you know, there's a million things we could name it. We have to go individually and go to each base and figure out yeah. if there's someone more appropriate. Maybe it's Frederick Douglass. Maybe it's William H. Kearney. Maybe it's one of the Tuskegee Airmen that fought and died for this country. There's a million there. He could have just said there's there's a ton of black heroes that we can celebrate and we can put the name on bases. We have to figure out each one individually if it's appropriate. So easy. Softball question, once again. Next question we have here. This one was a great one. Wallace asked him how he will regard his presidency. And I thought Trump's answer was everything you need to know about Trump in one short sentence. It sounded like this. Whether it's in 2021 or 2025, how will you regard your years as president of the United States?
2: I think I was very unfairly treated.
1: That is Donald Trump in a nutshell right there. You just got the very essence of Donald Trump. How will you regard your years as president? I was fairly unfairly treated. That's not even an answer. It's not even an answer to the question. Yeah. <laughs> then he actually goes on for 5 more minutes and lists all the grievances. All the things, all the people who have wronged him. That just goes to show you where this guy's head is. If you are still a conservative for Trump who thinks that this guy has your back or cares about you, every single thing is he sees through the eyes of him. Can I tell you what would have
0: been a great answer? If you love this country, please. How about I love this country so much that the ability for people to question what I do and how I do it, they are allowed to do that, they're given the freedom to do that, and I love this country because we have those freedoms. You know what, you can answer that question how
1: he wants to answer it and still talk about your love of this country exactly there's so many things he could have done he could have just started it by saying this has been the honor and privilege of sure. a lifetime you know these are so e- i literally think that my little kids could have answered that question better it's it, it's like the worst thing to say is i was fail, unfairly treated i mean what the hell is wrong with you like seriously I, I he's got to be mentally unstable if that's the best answer he could give. And I'm talking right now as a Republican operative. Remember, that's the whole point of this segment where, we're, where we are Republican strategists who are trying to strategize here. So we have a bonus for you on this segment. Um, and it's not from the Wallace interview. We're going to go back a week before to the Hannity interview that he did, which is a lot more a lot more softbally. And um, it was in front of, it was at one of those town halls. There were people there. And Hannity asked him what he's gonna do for his next term. Now, this is about as softball of a question as any politician could get, especially an incumbent president. This is what it sounded like.
2: Let's talk about a second term. If you hear in 131 days from now, at some point in the night or early morning, WE CAN NOW PROJECT DONALD J. TRUMP HAS BEEN RE-ELECTED THE 45TH PRESIDENT OF THE UNITED STATES. LET'S TALK. How do you, WHAT'S AT STAKE IN THIS ELECTION AS YOU COMPARE AND CONTRAST AND what is? WHAT ARE YOUR TOP PRIORITY ITEMS FOR A SECOND TERM? WELL, ONE OF THE THINGS THAT WILL BE REALLY GREAT, YOU KNOW, THE WORD EXPERIENCE IS STILL GOOD. I ALWAYS SAY TALENT IS MORE IMPORTANT THAN EXPERIENCE. I'VE ALWAYS SAID THAT. BUT THE WORD EXPERIENCE IS A VERY IMPORTANT WORD. IT'S IN A VERY IMPORTANT MEANING. I never did this before. I never slept over in Washington. I was in Washington, I think, 17 times. All of a sudden, I'm president of the United States. You know the story. I'm riding down Pennsylvania Avenue with our first lady, and I say, "This is great." But I didn't know very many people in Washington. It wasn't my thing. I was from Manhattan, from New York. Now I know everybody, and I have great people in the administration. You make some mistakes, like you know, an idiot like Bolton. All he wanted to do is drop bombs on everybody. You don't have to drop bombs on everybody. You don't have to kill people.
1: <laughs> he botched the easiest softball question a politician could be asked a, an incumbent politician what are you going to do during re-election? Right. What are you going to do with re- re- your second term? here's the answer ready You think I did a lot in my first term you haven't seen anything yet. we're going we're just getting started. I'm now that I know that I, I have the job going. You know, now that I, I have a feel for it, I am going to hone in on specific things. We're going to do this to the economy. We're going to rally your
0: base. Ruth right. Bader, she's out. I got like, new judges
1: for you. I mean, come on. Honestly, I'm not joking. I have a daughter who's eight years old. If I said to her, so what are you going to do next school year? Yeah, you know, uh, assuming COVID is over. She would say, you know, well, I'm going to keep my desk straighter. I'm going to work. I'm going to learn to read better. I'm going to work on my math. I'm going to try to stay out of trouble. (laughs) This is this is common sense. You don't need to be a genius to understand this. How he could botch that question. Tell your base what you're going to do for them. He can't even do that. How about run for reelection? And this, that was the most embarrassing thing, that, that word salad that he produced there. What was that? What was he even talking about? <laughs> and he had to bring, again, he had to bring up his grievances with Bolton. That wasn't even the question. I mean, that would be one thing if the, if the question was, you know, what do you think about John Bolton? Or what are you going to do to prevent having more Boltons in your second term? Then it would be appropriate. But he didn't even go close to that in the question. I mean, it, I'm in red. My blood pressure's high now. We got to move on to the next segment. He, he, the huh? world's
0: biggest troll. The world's yeah. biggest
1: troll. <laughs> All right. So we told you we're keeping this thing. We're keeping this thing classy today. We're gonna keep it a little more low key. And we have another new segment for Where you. Where the hits keep on coming. The hits keep on coming. And this is another segment, just like our last segment, the Trump Whisperer. This is a segment that I have a feeling is going to come back again and again and again until Trump is out of office. And we like to call this segment Newtonian physics. Newtonian physics. So this is a place to highlight every time Donald Trump acts like a mammal that drinks water and breathes air and the media fawn over his new tone. I mean, Riz, we only do this once a week. I mean. (laughs) So if you didn't notice this, Donald Trump changed his tone. Did you know there's a lot of tone changing? I I heard some muffling. You want to know why I heard
0: some muffling, Riz? Why? Did you
1: have the news on or something? I I had the news
0: (laughs) on and there was some muffle
1: and I looked up and Donald Trump is wearing a mask. I like people who are willing to change their mind. That's great. My problem is the media's reaction every single time Donald Trump changes his tone. It's as it, it's all they talk about all day and they're so proud of themselves <laughs> and they only to be embarrassed by that night. So this is what the media sounded like after Trump came out and changed his tone. In his first White House Coronavirus briefing in months, President Trump sharply changed his tone, stressing the need to get recent outbreaks under control.
2: A remarkable change of tune for President Trump today. The about face coming during a late afternoon news conference.
3: The president changed his tone today after months of insisting that COVID-19 was in retreat. He said it will get worse before it gets better. After downplaying the
1: virus for weeks, the president came before Thank cameras with
3: a blunt assessment.
2: It will probably. Probably, unfortunately, get worse before it gets better. Something I don't like saying about things, but that's the way it is. I have no problem with the masks. I view it this way: anything that potentially can help, and that certainly can potentially help, is a good thing. I have no problem. I carry it. I wear it.
1: So much tone changing, Jay. Congratulations! You can read the weather (laughs) while you're standing in it. So, uh, see, he changed his tune and his tone. He changed his tone in a tuneful manner, or he changed his tune in a toneful manner It was mal- it was very melodic. it was very <laughs> so the press does this every day i I still think that the press still w- believes that somewhere deep inside the trump pit of a soul is a New York liberal who says rational things and like is 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 is, is still somewhat like intelligent. In, in, in just a, a little bit, I guess. And so they're waiting for that. They're just waiting. And every time he says something that like a human being would say, they're like, oh my God, his tone. Everyone like alert the press. The tone has changed. Okay, so this is what uh, Donald Trump's tone sounded like by uh, the end of the night.
2: The last questions are much more difficult. Uh, like a memory question. It's uh, like you'll go person, woman, man, camera tv so they say could you repeat that
1: every time this happens this is like a left-wing commentator field day we have with this because the media jumps on it every single time yeah, i the love new it. tone they love the new tone and all the left-wing uh podcasters and commentators are always like new tone alert it's uh it's it's pretty funny so anyway, uh, those are our segments for the day. Uh, I, I We hope you guys enjoyed it. And we're going to move on to more of the serious stuff now, all right? Here we go. We got we got a topic of the day, don't we? We do have a topic of the day. So the topic of the day is socialism. And why is the topic socialism? Well, we decided the way we're going to structure these pods, you know, and there's going to be exceptions here and there. But I think for the for, for the foreseeable future, the way we'll structure this is that we will do the fun stuff and the, and anything current events that we have to get out of the way in the front of the podcast and the, the back of the podcast is gonna be more of these bigger ideological issues. And they're usually going to relate to the guests that we had on the show. So we had a guest on the show this week, this guy named uh, Paul Angelo. And uh, Paul is an old friend of mine and uh, he is a self-described socialist. And we had a really good conversation about it and we thought it would tie in good for us to also talk about socialism on this podcast. So uh, And by the way, that interview will go up after this pod, correct, Jay? Yeah. Correct. It'll go up a okay. couple days after, yeah. So the first thing I want to do is I want to give a Webster's definition of what socialism is and what capitalism is. Now, as you know, Justin and I both don't like socialism. They were capitalist pigs. Yes, we are capitalist pigs. Uh, here is the Webster's definition of socialism. Any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods. So what that is saying is the government controlling the means of production. Okay, that's what socialism means. And what one of the things you we found when we talked to to Paul um in our interview segment this week is that they're not really even hiding the ball about that. You know, the real socialists, the intellectual socialists, not the ones who just want free stuff, but the people who really understand the ideology, they openly admit they want the government to control every aspect of production in the country. They, You know, they're, they're not being subtle about this. Now, capitalism, uh, this is the definition for capitalism, an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods by investments that are determined by a private decision and by prices, production, and distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market. So let's go over that for just one second. An economic system characterized by private ownership. What do you think is what sounds more fair to you just as an objective listener? Private ownership or ownership by a governing body that you have no control over. Private ownership, right? Because it means you get to own it. By investment, determined by private decision decision making freedom we like freedom don't we yeah you eat eat what you
0: kill instead of you know killing something and sharing it with everyone so there's less for you
1: right and distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market that's fair if i if i make pillows and there's a a store down the street that makes pillows i get to decide how i want to price my pillows so that i can compete with the store next door that's great That's capitalism. Sounds very free. Yeah. Now, there are problems with capitalism. There's crony capitalism, but this is not a show about capitalism. We're going to do that show in the future, and we'll go over all that stuff. But for now, let's continue going through socialism. Jay has his famous buzzed history where he's going to go through and highlight countries that maybe once had a thriving capitalist society that were then destroyed by socialism. I'm sure he has some interesting things to say. Jay, kick it. Hello, and
0: welcome to Buzzed History. So here's a stat for you. Between 2000 and 2012, the rate of absolute poverty in the world fell by 50%, meaning the poor in the world were getting rich at a rate that is unparalleled in all of human history. Now the greatest advances in this regard were achieved by African and Asian countries like Botswana and Taiwan. That limited rather than expanded the role of government. The hard, cold fact is that socialism has never succeeded anywhere. Not in the Soviet Union with Marxism or Leninism, not in Nazi Germany with National Socialism, not in Communist China with Maoism, and not in Venezuela with Chavez-Maduro Socialism. These are not the only examples. Over the past hundred years, there have been more than two dozen attempts to build a socialist society. In addition to the countries I just mentioned, there's Yugoslavia, Albania, Poland, Vietnam, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, North Korea, Hungary, Tanzania, Laos, South Yemen, Somalia, the Congo, Ethiopia, Cambodia, Mozambique, Angola, and Nicaragua. They've all attempted this feat, only to end in varying degrees of failure. Now, I would say that most people know at least some of the places I've just listed. And most know that socialism has its origins in the Peasants' Revolt in England and the French Revolution in France. Some precedents in earlier movements and ideas. But did you know that the first real, live, full socialistic experiment was here in the good old U.S. of A.? Now, in 1825, on the banks of the Wabash River... Robert Owen, a Welsh textile manufacturer-turned-philanthropist, welcomed 900 eager intellectuals, artists, scientists, and workers to the settlement he had purchased and christened New Harmony, also nicknamed the Athens of the West, to participate in a utopian experiment that, if successful, would change the face of the country we now reside in. New Harmony was, of course, once called Harmony, but when its founder, German immigrant and Lutheran, George Rapp, decided to pick up and move communities due to a vision he had in a dream, he sold all 20,000 acres, 160 beautiful brick homes, and other various buildings to Robert Owen for the sum of $150,000. Robert Owen decided that New Harmony was to be a community of equality based on numerous writings and studies he had contributed prior to 1825. This included a new view of society or essays on the principle of the formation of the human character, which explained the principles behind his philosophy of socialistic reform. Owen felt that human character is formed by conditions over which individuals have no control. Thus, individuals could not be praised or blamed for the behavior or situation in life. He concluded that placing people under the proper environmental influences, physical, moral, and and social from their earliest years would make all of the difference, which led to him starting what essentially became the first preschool in history. In addition, Owen began writing reports to the House of Commons on England's poor laws and began crafting what he called the quote, new moral world. Owen's writings became so popular that upon his arrival into America in 1825, he was invited to speak at the U.S. House of Representatives on his vision for the utopian socialist community at New Harmony. His audience included Presidents John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison outgoing President James Monroe and then-president-elect John Quincy Adams. The reason behind this being that if New Harmony were to succeed, there was land set aside for thousands of such communal enterprises in America. Owenism, as it's now called, yet not widely known, is among the very first socialist ideologies active in the United States and was a key instigator of the modern socialist movement. Now, back to our lab mice in Indiana. On July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, Robert Owen issued what he named the Declaration of Mental Independence, declaring freedom from what he called a trinity of the most monstrous evils that could be combined to inflict mental and physical evil upon the whole race. He was, of course, referring to religion, marriage, and private property. As I'm sure you could imagine, despite being a community of good buildings, cultivated lands and orchards, and a fair amount of livestock, New Harmony had its share of issues. The largest among them was the fact that all supplies went through one central location, the town general store, which was unable to be properly managed by its government. One New Harmony member wrote that, quote, even salads were deposited in the store to be handed out, making 10,000 unnecessary steps and causing the salads to come to the tables in a wilted, deadened state. Mm, Hmm, 10,000 unnecessary steps, huh? Sounds a bit like, I don't know, government? New Harmony was characterized by bickering, dissension, and disorder. The town quickly fell behind in crop production and ordinary maintenance tasks were neglected as the town's residents lacked the motivation to work. They didn't have answers to questions and issues such as how to cooperate and properly allocate resources, how to convince the most productive workers to keep producing when the least productive are rewarded equally. What should be produced? Who should have what job? The list goes on and on and can be applied to just about any attempt at a socialistic society. New Harmony ultimately collapsed, I know it's a shock to many of you, amidst an epidemic of homelessness and famine, consuming four-fifths of Owen's fortune and destroying not just his reputation in business, but the seed quality of a new social order for the country and ultimately the world. Owen then unsuccessfully attempted to persuade the Mexican government to sponsor a similar community before returning to England, where he spent the rest of his life advocating social reforms and penning his autobiography, which outlines the basic tenets of Owenism before dying at the very old age age of 87 now owens may not have participated in what anyone would call a victorious experiment but for what it's worth he did influence socialism as we know it today not so sure that's worth celebrating but there it is buzz history
1: buzz History. all right jay that was a great buzz history yeah not bad i learned a lot and it was very eye-opening um, for those listeners out there and, and i think this is mostly directed at young people who think socialism is cool i want to say that um you know, socialism is in America, sort of the face of socialism is probably Bernie Sanders. Now, Bernie, as you probably know, if you're into this stuff, was one of the nominees for president. He did not win. Joe Biden ended up beating him. Hillary Clinton beat him uh, beat him last time. Bernie has been doing this for a long time. Um, and, you know, his his ideas are, are prevalent among mostly young people. I think a lot of the woke crowd also just seem to, Ber- to love Bernie. Artist people seem to love Bernie. I want to tell a little bit of a little story. Like a couple, a couple months ago, actually, it was more than a couple months. It was probably about six months ago at this time, uh, at this point. Jay and I were, were driving out to uh, Koreatown in LA. With, it was right when the, right when the pandemic hit. We were very nervous about it. I remember this. We were nervous about it. And um, we were with one of our friends and we were having a conversation in the car and at that time, Bernie Sanders was the front runner. It looked like he was going to be the nominee. Wait, it was the, he was there up until the very last second, essentially. Yeah, yeah, he really was. Well, you know, one of the great mobilization stories in the history of politics, uh, I think, was what happened with Joe Biden and Absolutely. everyone dropping out at the right moment to give Joe Biden the. the th- you know, it was just it was it was it was great for him. But Bernie was looking like he was going to take it for a minute, and the question came up of whether or not I would vote for Bernie. I want to say that. I do not like socialism. I do not like Bernie Sanders. I do not like his brand of democratic socialism. I think it's all bad. But I think Trump is such an evil person and such a bad person. I said that Bernie Sanders is a a good person with a flawed ideology. Donald Trump is a guy with no ideology and who's a bad person. I would still rather vote for the good person. And I remember Jay and I having sort of an argument about, well, you know, once we start implementing Bernie's policies, we might never go back. And that's the fear that everyone on the right has. And I absolutely agree that that is a fear. However, number one, I don't think if Bernie were elected, which it's a moot point now, I guess, to even talk about it, but just just pretend that he did get the nomination. Number one, I don't think any of his policies would have been able to been implemented. See, I, I think he would have come up against some, some even on the left, some issues in Congress. But even with that, you know, people forget that our, you know, a lot of people will say our government gets nothing done. It was designed that way. It was designed to get very little done. Absolutely, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing because you can enact sweeping, sweeping change. So I don't think number one, I don't think he would have gotten much done. Number two. We have seen just how malleable and how resilient our system is. Donald Trump, for instance, came in and erased most of Barack Obama's legislative legacy within one term. And I'm assuming when Joe Biden wins, if he wins, he'll put it all back. So the point is, if Bernie Sanders came in for one term, four years, and got even, uh, uh, you know, one-tenth of what he said he was gonna get done, and nobody liked it, and Sucked, and then, and then we elected Ted Cruz, who reversed all of it. I think we'd be fine. the 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 greater point I'm making is that our system is was built to be resilient enough. Where I don't think anyone on the right or left needs to be existentially scared of these ideas I- in America. We we need to to train our young people. We need to teach them what these ideas are, so that they grow up appreciating the capitalist system, because it really is the best system for very objective reasons. It's been proven. It's been proven over and over again. But the point is that if we had a socialist or democratic socialist president for one term, would it kill us and destroy America? No. So if you hear right wing media talking about that, that's hyperbole. You know how our system was designed, Riz? Go ahead. Moderate change, incrementally. (laughs) Done incrementally, exactly. The last thing we want to do here is sort of go over some of the batch crazy things that bernie has said and that bernie believes because since he is the face of socialism a lot of people might be saying well why are we even talking about bernie well he still is the face of the movement and so i think it's important to talk about it a lot of young people have been sort of taken in by
0: bernie and i don't think they really recognize what the thing is that he's promoting i think it's been surrounded in a lot of really great marketing um and and things that sound good like no one will be poor or (laughs) no one will be homeless
1: I'm 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 Bernie Sanders. Uh, uh, You you know, under my system of government, nobody is going to be poor. We're going to eradicate the poor. Yes, we are going to have bread lines, but what's wrong with bread lines? Everyone loves bread. I put bread on my my egg salad sandwich, and uh, when I'm trying to lose weight, I use just one slice of bread, which is a good thing because there's going to be rationing in this system. You'll probably only get one slice of bread after a year or two because we won't be able to afford the two slices. So it'll be good. Well, it'll be good for your health. Of course, we won't have any medical innovation anymore. So uh, the fact that you'll be a little bit thinner will also be good. I'm Bernie Sanders. I support this message. Now, let me tell you something.
0: <laughs> I'm coming out of college. I got a penny to my name. I can't eat. I, you know, I, need, I eat just bread and soup too. That sounds pretty good to me. Everyone right. else is going to be just like me. I <laughs> buy it, right? But the reality is it's just not sustainable. It's not a real thing. It's not sustainable. No. It's, just, it's not real. Well,
1: first, I have a question for you, Jay. I want you to answer yeah. this question honestly and objectively okay. here. When Michael Bloomberg, the old mayor from New York, yeah, entered the it. race as 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 a candidate, right? Mm-hmm. It was asked of Bernie at one of the debates what he thought about uh, about Michael Bloomberg jumping in, and his his answer was something along the line of, "I think it's indicative of the uh, the billionaire class they the and the arrogance that they have that they think just because they could have money they could run this country and that everyone's going to follow them just because they have money. It's a really arrogant thing. What is more arrogant to you, okay? Bernie Sanders, who has been on the government dole for about 35 years. Before that, there's no documentation of any job he had or any job he created. He has been, his name has been on maybe a handful of bills, but ultimately he's been an independent his whole career. So he hasn't really had to- He's
0: done nothing, I think is what you're trying to say. He's done
1: nothing. Even Hillary Clinton in her documentary on Hulu that everyone should watch says, nobody likes him. He doesn't do anything, right? And he's never been involved in anything, okay? All he's done is screamed really loud and become rich off of it. He's made he's made he's worth well over a million dollars. He has three houses. He has one in D.C. as a vacation home. He has one in Vermont where he's the senator. Capitalism's done him well, right? So who's more arrogant, that, or by contrast, Michael Bloomberg, who runs one of the biggest businesses in the world, was a born middle class, made his way, worked his butt off, worked his way up, employs literally. Thousands, if not tens of thousands of people all over the world, people put their put food on the table for their family because they work for Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. Was the mayor of the biggest city in the world, what, two or three terms? I don't even remember. But, uh, you know, the guy who's more arrogant, Bernie Sanders or Michael Bloomberg, who's thinking to himself, you know what? I can take some of this knowledge I have, some of this expertise I have, and apply it to the country and actually help people. Yeah, the man could have retired. Right. Right. So objectively, who do you think is more arrogant? I'm sending
0: Bernie to New Harmony.
1: That's what I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> exactly. See, and that's the thing. That's the trick about socialism. It is arrogant. It is arrogant to think that the government can control. And what ends up happening is you have all these people who will say, well, it hasn't been tried correctly. It hasn't. Been, we haven't had, you know, it always turned if it wasn't for the dict. They always say if it wasn't for the dictator, it would have been fine. But it always you know, but a,
0: there's always a dictator. Always a every dictator. time.
1: Why is that, Jay? Why do you think there's always a dictator? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Exactly. And you know what happens is when you need to keep justifying all this government spending, you need strong men to be there and justifying it. And, and you know, I I also think a lot of people don't think about this, but and we talk about this a little bit with Paul um, when we do our interview with him. Every law that is passed in the country, there's there's a government gun at the end of that law. So if the government comes in and mandates something, like we're going to mandate that all doctors must treat all patients from now on. They don't have a choice in the matter. That's by government mandate. What government mandate means is by government gun. Right.
0: So essentially what you're saying is there's either a fine or a possible jail time associated
1: at the end of that. if you don't follow, I'm not that no. I'm not even saying fine because here's the thing: if you don't pay the fine, yeah, you get a fine at first. But if you refuse to pay the fine, right, eventually the, yeah. the 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 last step is that guys with guns who work for the government come to your house and put the guns in your face and take you to jail. So so when people talk about socialism turning into tyranny, that's what happens. It is a slippery slope. When you give the government that much power and then there's a revolt in the people who don't want to do that anymore. And the government says, well, that those are the rules, those are the laws. And if you don't follow those rules, we're going to get somebody who works for the government to come and take you to jail. You know, that's a real slippery slope that people have to think about, especially the pacifist left. If you're if you're if, if, if you want to limit the power of the police, or limit the power of uh, authoritative figures, the last thing you want is socialism. You want more power in the private sector. Kristen Nemitz, who's the uh, author of
0: Socialism, The Failed Idea That Never Dies. She's the head of political uh, economy at the Institute for Economic Affairs in London. She's quoted as saying, which I think is perfect, socialism is always democratic and emancipatory in its aspirations, but oppressive and authoritarian in its actual practice. And that has been true time and time and time again i mean look at venezuela the poverty went down of course the equ- inequality numbers went down uh the happiness index whatever that is went up yep. because the government used economic capital to pay for these things and guess what happened the economy crashed and then they had to you know they, now they're they had eating to be- dogs
1: in the street exactly yeah. I,
0: it happens every time
1: it always ends like that or it ends with revolt and war you know yep. and, and yeah. a lot i mean just and, you know, I, I sort of realized this when we were talking to Paul, the the logical next step for socialism is communism. They're basically the same thing because communism is just with a strong man at the end. Yeah,
0: of one morphs into the other for sure. Right,
1: right. But, but what ends up happening is government control over your entire life. And it's not good. But, you know, to move on a little bit, I got these figures off of Bernie Sanders' website. I just want to talk about how crazy some of his proposals were. Now, some of this has been scrubbed. So thank God for the waybackmachine.com that uh, allowed me to go and get, because I remember reading these proposals when he was a presidential candidate, and now that he's no longer, they took a lot of them off. But these were all on his website. Um, now, a, a, a organization called Stand for America Now, which is a conservative organization, did an analysis of how much his policies would cost. I verified them. Here's what it, what it said. Bernie Sanders is proposing trillion dollars of news new spending in the next 10 years alone now we are already stretched thin budget-wise it's projected that the united states government will spend about 40 trillion dollars in the next 10 years that's a lot of money so bernie's budget on top of the 40 trillion added another 97.5 tripling literally tripling the budget which is just absolutely out of control and not sustainable by any means it's impossible OK, now the Bernie fallacy is that we'll save money in the long run when we stop spending in the private sector and instead let the government take care of it. OK, so we've heard obviously the cliche is Medicare for all. We have talked about that on our uh, on our episode about healthcare. You should go back and listen if you haven't. But the idea that everything that we get from the private sector, if we just put that on the if we have the government start producing that, that we're going to save money is a very interesting thing. Now, let me ask you something, Jay. Because we could do this with anything in life. Let's say cars, for instance. Mm -hmm. Let's say the government. uh, I'm Bernie Sanders, and now that I'm your president, I am going to say that every single man and woman who turns 18 is going to get a government car, and you'll get the government car, and you will no longer have to be buying cars in that nasty capitalist system called the free market. Is it a Tesla? (laughs) What do you think is going to happen to the quality of the cars, Jay? It's not a Tesla. Yeah exactly it's going to be a 1979 pinto like they're driving around in they're literally driving like chevys from the 70s in Cuba. sure yeah yeah um you know because that's what happens so yes you might save money but you're not going to be able to have anything nice anymore you're not going to be able to have your nice car and a lot of people in america love their nice car you could do this with food okay let's say i'm bernie sanders and i am going to have the government provide all the food we need via the bread lines that I've dreamed so much about since I was a little bit a little child. Okay. What do you think's going to happen to the food if the government takes over the food supply completely and there's no more private market? No more gluten-free options? <laughs> you're not going to be getting very good food. In fact, you're going to be getting a lot of rationing too. So, if you like good food, this is not a system you would like. You know, the the free market really does provide the best quality of product because it is guided by profit. And this is something that has to be beat into younger people. Profit is good. Profit actually enables people, uh, enables innovation and innovation is what makes our lives better. So we want profit. Not just enables rewards.
0: This is the thing. You know what I was was talking about in, in, in what happened with Robert Owens and Buzz History in socialism, the best workers are rewarded as equally as the worst workers. So like, why do the best work? Right, yeah, exactly. Do, do you know about the shopping cart theory?
1: No, tell me about it.
0: So it's it's what I would call a litmus test for whether people will like do something for the good of all, for nothing, right? So you you go out in the parking lot of like, let's say a, a Target or a yeah. Walmart or a Publix if you live in Florida. Uh, so you see this, the shopping carts litter the parking lot, right? Right, yeah. Now, these people, right? It takes nothing for them to do to return these carts for the good of the workers, for the good of the people. Do they do this? No, no, no. You see that one guy who's an employee of the store, schwitzing like no one's business, trying to get all the carts because people don't do for the good of all without being prompted. Now, if you started paying people and you said a buck a cart, I guarantee you there'd be a race to get those carts into the store. So yeah. <laughs> it just, it, it's a litmus test. It just doesn't work. It's in practice now. And you can see it. Just go to any local parking lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I like that. It's a good, it's a good little anecdote there. Um, yeah, I, you know, I was thinking when I was thinking about this segment, I was thinking about when we, we Jay and I both went to college together again in Boston at Berkeley College of Music, not to be confused with the Berkeley in, in, uh, in, uh, California. Yeah, we were, we were radi- radicalized yeah. out in California. We weren't radicalized. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh. I missed it. I got to school in 1998. Jay got to school in 1999. I missed it by a year. But if you remember, Jay in '99, that's really when the tech boom was really starting to yes. happen. And mm-hmm. and uh, Berkeley gave away all to all the freshman students. Every single person got a beautiful iMac computer. Remember those big computers? Yeah, mine was they, blue. Right, they were blue. Some of them were red. Some of yeah, them I were loved pink. My computer. Right, right, exactly. And they were really cool computers at the time. Right, but. Apple was going through such a surge at the moment. That's like really when they were when Jobs was just uh, Steve Jobs, not not the job market. Steve Jobs was just firing on all cylinders, and things were just going crazy. Right, they were going haywire. Like the technology at that point was so, uh, you know, it, it was changing so quickly. So within like six months, that iMac computer was obsolete. And so, what did Berkeley do? Did Berkeley? Give everyone a new computer? No, they were like, if you want to buy a new one, go buy one. That that that's a sort of a perfect analogy for this. Yeah. Like the system will give you the bare minimum, but as things get better and better and better, they're Like if 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 our government paid for for everyone to have a car, as cars got better, they wouldn't keep buying people better cars. You'd be stuck with the jalopy until it completely broke down. Of course. That's and sh- by the way, what? Why would cars be getting better? They wouldn't be rewarded for it. it, it, it exactly. It, it, it wouldn't be. Exactly. So the, this is the point. The free market has enabled all of this incredible innovation. And within a year, we were going from IMAX to like little tiny iPads. And, it, you know, it was, it's, it's an amazing thing. So here's the bottom line. Socialism is a big scheme where you get stuck with the thing while the rest of the capitalist world gets the good stuff. Does that sound like a, a world you want to live in? No, thank you. No, I'm out. I mentioned the $97.5 trillion of new spending that Bernie was proposing. Here's the breakdown, just so you know, I'm not full of it. Here's what the breakdown of where it would all come from. Uh, Medicare for all would be $40 trillion. A climate change initiative would cost $16.3 trillion. I'm all for climate change initiative, but that's a lot of money, right? A guarantee, this is a great one, guarantee a full-time government job if you lose your job. So no more unemployment. The government's going to take it now. How good a job? Wait, <laughs> hang on. They're just going to create a job? What am I like, a sweeping the floors of Congress? Whatever it is, you know, when you lose your job, you are guaranteed a full-time government job, so no one's ever unemployed. Yes, I'm, I'm sure that's that's going to work. Unbelievable. A fe- yeah. So this is a full-time federal jobs program that's going to cost thirty trillion dollars. Then on top of that, he wanted to cancel all student loan debt for everyone. Now we talked about this a little bit on the po- uh, on our interview with Paul. I am actually for canceling student debt and for government-subsidized college if and only if you can prove that it's going to something useful that you're gonna make money in. Israel does this, you know. um, There's a lot of countries in the West. Uh, There's countries in Europe that do this. It's, uh, you, in other words, if you're gonna go to college and major in lesbian dance theory and then expect to get out and make a ton of money, and then be disappointed that you're not making money and then ask for your loan back. That I'm not cool with. Yeah, you want to hand out, prove that you're going to be a contributing member of society first. Right. Exactly. I'm all for more education. We talked about this last week. Education is a great thing. So if you are going to major in something that's going to be useful, not the majors we majored in, Jay, <laughs> although you, uh. you, 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 you did well for yourself, but if you're going to major in something useful, then maybe there's could be some subsidies involved. But the idea of just canceling everyone's student loan for no reason, they made those those choices. I mean, it, it's it's a crazy thing. Uh, a federal housing guarantee, which we touched upon this a little bit last week or two weeks ago, maybe um, when I talked about South Africa. They have a federal housing guarantee where basically everyone's house is shit. because what happens when you put the government in charge of federal ha- uh, uh, of you know, uh, housing for the country. Can I tell you, Riz, have you been to Brentwood lately? Have you seen the,
0: the, the government subsidized tents with American flags on them?
1: It, there you go. There you go. Yes. We bought Brent, those. Brentwood. Yes, it's true. That Brentwood, God, how did, why did all those rich people put up with that? I uh, do not, I could not tell you. What is sort of the cliche crappy housing in every single city in America? The government housing, of course, the projects, you know, that's where you know the you, you basically don't want to live unless you have to okay government stuff is never that good okay so federal housing guarantee not good paid family leave okay eh, you know whatever, we'll move on from that one okay the bottom line is 70 percent of the entire gdp of the us per year will be spent on government programs under bernie sanders ideas 70 percent of the entire gdp like that's a lot of money, Jay. It is um, almost all of our money, Riz. Yeah. So the bottom line here, guys, is that uh, capitalism is better than socialism. It has created an incredibly thriving middle class all over the country. It has created it has created a golden age of consumerism that we're in, even in the COVID era. Yeah. Look look at the market. I you know it's still happening. The bottom line here is. I have a delivery tomorrow coming from Amazon Fresh of all my groceries that I need for the rest of the week, and I ordered it like an hour ago. Can you imagine if the government did
0: that? It'd be like yeah. some some kid who got this government job with like a wilted piece of lettuce going
1: like, right. here's your lettuce, sir. Right, yeah, because the government is not good at those kind of things, and it would it, it, the website would break down all the time. Yeah, uh, The products would be rancid, and they would... there'd be no refrigeration in the trucks like they have for amazon that's for sure yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah. so you know um that's really it that's all we have to say about this these topics will come back they'll come up again you should definitely listen to our uh our interview with paul it was a great interview anything else you have to say about this jay i have one more thing to say do it go to downthemiddlepod.com
0: to find out more info and contact us if you send us questions, we'll answer them on the air. Follow us on social media, Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. If that's too confusing, just go to our website, downthemiddlepod.com, and they're all on there. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Instagram and all the things at, at Justin Siegel. You can follow Riz at
1: Rob underscore Leifer at Instagram and uh, Rob Lifer at Twitter and I, again i'm the best looking wa- rob lifer on facebook i just want to say my, my wife was listening to one of these episodes and she heard me say that she was like you really should stop saying that you sound like a jackass when you say that i was like yeah you can't handle the truth And i actually went <laughs> to facebook and looked up rob there's four rob lifers three of them are uh, one of them's me the other two are like eight, over 80. so i'm definitely better looking okay, than them. Easy, and the, yeah. the other one is like a redneck in pennsylvania and I think I'm I'm better than him as well. Okay.
0: I mean, I honestly think we should have bubs on next week to just like let us know and confirm <laughs> that you are the best looking one on Facebook.
1: It's true. Like, like, listen, if my name was John Smith, I wouldn't be saying that, but it's not. I am objectively the best looking Rob Lifer in the world. Find me a better one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, listeners, you have your challenge. So listen, yes.
1: speaking of challenges,
0: visit our Discord. You can mix it up with us about uh, politics. Let's talk about it. The link is on our socials check us out on discord and buy our t-shirts wow your friends by promoting moderate change incrementally it's so exciting
3: it really
1: is buy our t-shirts buy one for your baby buy one for your kids indoctrinate your kids into moderate values you'll love it you'll love it all right guys that's
0: all we got for you and we will uh we'll talk to you next week (laughs)